Alright, they're off going to junior church, and you're going to turn in your Bibles with me, so grab your Bible. And if you need a Bible, raise your hand, and we'll bring one to you. We want to make sure you have what you need for this morning. You're also going to need a handout. And the handout, I'll just rip mine out here. Looks like this. It was on the back table. If you didn't get one of those, we're going to bring them to you. Uh, we've got some high schoolers right now. They're moving, making their way towards the table. All right, so they're heading that direction. Now, if you need a handout, raise your hand. Let's see how many we need. So everybody should have a paper, a pen, and your Bibles. And while you're waiting, 2 Kings chapter 6. Why don't you turn to 2 Kings chapter 6. That's Old Testament. Starts off Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, keeps going. First and Second Chronicles, First and Second Kings, you're there. Second Kings chapter six. I'll turn in there. <clears throat> Gentlemen, it is Valentine's this week, just a reminder. Okay? That was your friendly reminder. And uh, I know some of you, as I said, think it's a great profitable day for a Hallmark and you don't, I'm not giving into that. Okay. Love your spouse, please. Okay? Love your spouse. Make that attempt. Go above and beyond. You know, as a kid, everyone in class got a Valentine. You all remember that? Uh, we're still dealing with the make a box, make something, put the Valentines in. So everybody got a Valentine. You're giving 30, 40 cards out, you know, so it's all heavy duty. And then as you get older, you become an adult, and you're like, I'm not going to do anything. So, we, so we gotta, we're sort of out of balance here, you know, from a kid to just giving, giving, giving to an adult, like, well, I'm not going to. Let's find that balance in here somewhere, okay, and say, where, what can I do this week to show love to somebody, okay? Friendly reminder, not even part of the sermon. There we go. All right, Bibles, pens, papers, we're all set. Awesome, awesome. Uh, as we uh, have been going through the past four weeks through our core beliefs, um, if you take a look on who we are as a church, what we believe, Obviously, our beliefs go much deeper than this. Okay, if you want to talk about God, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, you want to talk about baptism or the Lord's Supper or what do we believe about this doctrinal issue or that, you know, there's obviously more. But we say, with taking all that you believe, we are on a mission. See, God gives us as leaders a vision for what we're supposed to do, and then the mission statement is taking that vision and going with it. And our mission statement in a nutshell, it's four words, okay? Love God, love others. That's, that's our mission. But sometimes it's like, well, can we spell that out a little bit more? So the past four weeks, we've been trying to spell that out, helping you understand our core beliefs uh, that make up our mission statement. So to help you out in understanding this, we just put onto a piece of paper, again, trying to simplify things. And I want to go through this real quick. Because at the end of the service today, as we always do at the beginning of every new year, we sign the covenant. The covenant's on the back table. And basically, when you sign the covenant, because some people are like, what's church membership? How do I become a member of the church? How do I join this church? Well, for us here at our church, we say it's through our covenant. And the covenant is basically all of this here and saying, I agree with all of this, and I want to worship with you as a church family at True North. So I'm covenanting with you and with God to be a part of this. So you sign your name on that back table on that covenant. For the next year, you're saying, I'm committing 
to God, to be part of this church family, to be in agreement with our mission. That's our covenant. Okay, is that, that pretty crystal clear, hopefully? Okay, I, I try to make sure that is somewhat clear so, you, you know, when people say, oh, wait, how do I become a member of this church again? How many classes do I have to take? We, we designed it for the past four Sundays that you can download on the podcast. You can grab these papers. You've been at class the last four weeks, and if you miss one, go back and catch one, okay? But I want to sum it up for you today to make sure we're on the same page. As you look at this, it starts out, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Sort of like we just talked with the kids about, right? Those incredible words came from Jesus Christ. As he sat there with his disciples and others as he was teaching, he said, God loves you so much that he sent his one and only son. And that's me, okay? Why? Why would God do that? So that whoever believed could have eternal life, so they could have salvation, because the world is such a mess. We're so far away from God. There's no way we can save ourselves. So God has this incredible plan to send his one and only son to pay the price so we can have that, that new life. So we surrender our lives to him. We humbly repent. We ask for forgiveness. We start a new direction. And we get a new life of faith in him. Now you look at the second paragraph that it says, in the new life in Christ, we strive to build that relationship with God. So we have a new relationship with God. Now let's build on that. Okay? So we connect with him through prayer, through reading his written word, which is the Bible. And then we believe that we give honor to God in worshiping him alone. Remember we said, whatever it is that you worship, you value. If you highly value something, you worship it. Did you know you could worship your phones? For some of us that just can't put that phone out of our hands, it's always there. We've always got to be doing something with it. It is so valuable to you. Do you know you've made it a God? You worship it. No, I don't. Well, how upset would you be if you lost it? I'd be devastated. It's a God to you. Would you act the same way if your faith was taken from you? See, we've got we to think this through. What you highly value is your God. And that's why we say we need to worship God and God alone. That's what he said to the children of Israel. The first of the Ten Commands was there's no other God. We worship him alone. We've got to establish that in our lives. So we worship him, and how do we do that? We're giving up our time, our tithes, our talents. You give it all back to God. God, this is yours. It's not mine. So we worship him as we serve in the church and as we love others. That's all part of worship. God, I'm doing this for you because I, I love you and I value you. So through all those things, <clears throat> excuse me, we express our love to God. You look at that third paragraph. Oh, excuse me. <clears throat> we also worship God as we love others with the love of Christ. So as a believer in Christ, we recognize that Jesus Christ came to seek and save those who are lost and establish the church. He didn't come just to say, I want to save you and that's it. No, he, he then created the church. He told Peter, the one who made a lot of mistakes in life. Didn't he seem like the one disciple? It's like, really, again, you? And Jesus went to him and said, upon you, I'm building the church. I came here to do that too. So the church is important. So together, as believers, we worship, we serve, we, we come together to build one another up as we worship God. So that coming together, connecting with others is important. So all of that to say, as you look now at the bottom part, I've pulled my thing in half, and I believe all of yours should be color-coordinated. Two, first two words, love God. 
They're in highlighted in yellow, correct? Did I get a head nod from anybody? Can I hear an amen? Okay, good. All right. So we got love God highlighted in yellow. Now, first blank. Let's fill in that first blank. First blank is salvation. Salvation. We actually got it up on the screen for you this week. <clears throat> it took me four weeks to figure out that maybe some people didn't know how to spell certain words, or maybe I said it too quick and they didn't catch what I said. And my son said, Dad, could you, like, put the words up there too? Yeah, never thought about that. So we're learning. Salvation. What is salvation? It's we recognize God's relentless love for us, his pursuit for us. It's like, man, he loves me so much. So we seek forgiveness. We surrender to God and repent. So having received that gift of salvation of God by God's grace and his grace alone, that's Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, okay? We share that same love with others. Now I want you to see this, okay? Every time I say love God or you see it in yellow, I want you to think vertical going up. Okay? So anything love God is going vertical. Think of the, the, when you see the cross, the beam that's going up. I love God. I've, I'm accepting salvation from Him. He's the only thing that can save me. That's why He's my Savior. Okay? So I'm loving God. That's my repentance, my asking forgiveness from a holy God for my messed up life. Everybody got that? That's loving God. Now here's the deal. Now we take that and we say, thank you for saving me. Now I need to take that message to others. Now we got the horizontal going, the horizontal beam. We've got the love others going on. Because I love all of you, I'm going to tell you about the love of God. If I truly love God and He has saved me, now I got to tell you about that. The best gift I could ever give you is the message of salvation. Not a hundred bucks, not a new car, the gift of salvation, which comes from God. So I'm going to tell you, that's now the horizontal. Everybody see where we're going with this? So in that next blank where it says repentance, put the word evangelism. Second word is evangelism. So under love God, our first thing is salvation. The next paragraph, connecting with God. Connecting with God. We desire to grow in our relationship with God. So that's, again, prayer, which is talking to God, reading God's written word, which is the Bible. We connect with our Heavenly Father. We want to grow with Him, so we've got to talk to Him. We've got to learn about Him. Prayer and God's word. Again, that's the vertical. Now, check this out. This also discipleship. As He disciples us, just like Jesus did with the Twelve, He's teaching us. So there's a good growth pattern going on here. But now let's get horizontal with this. How do I love others? Okay. The word you're going to fill in the blank there is called community. The word is community. <coughs> community. When we truly love others, not only are we telling you about salvation, that's evangelism, I also want to connect with you and build community. Our discipleship partners that we had. That's a part, that's what I'm talking about. You find another person, you get a group. The ladies that met this morning, the men that are going to start meeting, is it this Monday? Tomorrow night, 8.30, Ministry Center. Be there or be square. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Fill in the blank. All right. Um, that's all part of community, growing with one another. So I'm growing with Christ and I'm growing with you. Again, keep that cross picture going. Okay. All right. Third paragraph, worshiping God. Worshiping God. We believe that God desires all the glory and praise. 
Not the band, not the pastor, you know, not the nursery workers, although, boy, they deserve praise, don't they? Okay. But it is He we worship, not ourselves. It is God we worship, not us. So we show the, that He has incredible value, and we worship Him, we worship Him alone. Again, there's that vertical, vertical movement going. We worship Him by giving our time. I'm giving up not just five minutes or an hour. I'm giving up the day. This is the Sabbath, right? Okay. I'm giving up tithes. I'm giving up a percentage of my paycheck right off the top. Boom, here it goes. That's, that's your money, God. It belongs to you first. Part of the overflow campaign is helping us understand biblically that it is right to give back to God. For us not to give to God, it's disobedience. So part of the overflow wasn't just let's build up the reservoir of our money so that we have opportunity to buy a building down the road. It's no, we also need to realize that's not our money. It's God's. Tithes go to Him. We, can, we could spend, you know, a whole year going through Scripture where that is proven to be true, uh, but we don't because we get scared because people are like, you're talking about money, I'm leaving the church. Okay, well, we talk about love too. Are you going to leave the church? I mean, they're both talked about in the Bible, but for some reason, we always get a little, eh. okay. Talents, your gifts, your skills. Pastor Dan mentioned it. How many kids, you know, you see in the newspaper, whether it's in academics, they make the honor roll, or sports, they win a ball game, uh, coal, you know, black belt, you know, not many people knew that, you know, you passed that test. I mean, a lot of great accomplishments go on within our church, band, choir, all these talents, all these skills. Question is, what are you doing with them for God? It's awesome that you go out and celebrate. You, you just pinned somebody, or you just made the basket, or you just got an A. Now, what are you doing with that? How are you giving that back to God? You know, one of the joys that I have in seeing when, you know, I go to an athletic event is seeing the kids, not after the winning shot, but when they gather on the court or the field and they circle up and pray. To me, that's thank you guys. Thank you for taking time out and saying, God, thank you for the gifts you gave us today. If anybody got an Lord, heal them. Take care of them. You know, they're, they're, they're pausing and saying, we wouldn't be here today without you, God. So we thank God for our talents. So again, as we are worshiping God, we're saying, God, thank you. You are awesome. You're mighty. And we do that by giving back to him. Now, how do we do that horizontally with others? The blank that you're going to fill in there is serving. Serving. You've given me a talent to work with kids. I will volunteer to go help in the children's church. You've given me a talent to sing. I will volunteer and serve on the worship team. You've given me a talent to work with money. I will work with the finance team. You know, there's different things that God's given each of you as adults, ability to serve within the church. How do you worship God horizontally? By using those gifts within the community and serving. That's an awesome way to show that worship towards God. Okay? So again, sort of review this. Our mission is to love God, love others. Okay? It's, again, I'm just making this really simple with four words. Love God, love others. Under love God, we've got salvation, we have connecting with God, and we have worshiping God. The key words that are highlighted in yellow on your paper are repentance, prayer in God's word, discipleship, and giving. That's all the vertical movement towards loving God. Now you go down to the next part that says love others. That's in green. That's the horizontal, loving others. Connecting with others. You can fill in the blank there. Connecting with others. Now, as believers of Christ, new life in Him, we strive to grow in our faith together, encouraging and holding one another accountable. So this is another act of worshiping God as we serve the church by loving others. Now, I was talking um, this past week with our staff, and we are talking about, you know, it's awesome to know that 
we have a church that really is good at this, getting out and loving others in the community, but we forget that loving others is within the church body too, serving here. It's like, yeah, I'm out being the church. Being the church, though, is part of what we do as a body of believers within the church too, whether it's Sunday morning, Wednesday night, whatever it may be, looking just right here. Who in here needs help? Who needs encouragement? Who needs a blessing? You can also be the church within here as well as out there. It's all that horizontal movement, okay? So as you look at the bottom then, there's three words, evangelism, community, and serving, highlighted in green, which you just filled in the blanks in the upper part. Because again, I want you to see this picture of, of a vertical relationship with God, a horizontal relationship with one another, as we love God and as we love others. That's our church. That's our mission. I want you to understand, we have a mission. We're not just like somebody that goes out and says, well, we're just, we're just here to have fun. We're just here to do something. The difference between a skydiver and a paratrooper, which I've shared with this before, is really big. Think about this. Skydiver jumps out of a plane with a parachute on his back, does some flips and some turns and some aerial movements, whatever, then pulls the cord and just floats down to earth. Yeah, that was fun. I got a high out of that. That was a rush. Woo! Okay. A paratrooper jumps out of the plane with the same kind of parachute on, but he is pinpointing himself to land at a certain spot because when he lands, he has something that he needs to do for our country. He has a mission to go and accomplish, to save a life, to do something honorable for a nation. They're both doing the same thing, jumping out of the plane, doing different things, but when they land, they've got something else going on. That's the difference between our church and somebody who's just like, well, I'm just, I can worship God at home by reading my Bible. Okay, but I want you to understand, we're on a mission. I can, I can live for God and have fun, right? But you know what? I'm choosing to live for God with a mission. And here at True North, our mission is to love God and love others, simply put. Expand it out by looking at that paper and understanding it. So at the end of the service, this is what I'm going to say. Hey, if that's you, if you say, I'm all in, okay? With Jesus Christ as my Savior, and my goal in loving Him and growing closer to Him and worshiping Him alone, and then taking that love that I have for Him and applying that with everybody around here horizontally, I want to be a part of that. I'm in. I want to be a part of this church. Then sign the covenant. Okay? That's what it means to be a part of this church. Now, with that being said, turn your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6. <clears throat> Incredible story takes place here in 2 Kings chapter 6. And uh, it's the story of Elisha in his time as a prophet of God. Elisha and any, most of those prophets back in biblical times were not loved at all. You want to know why? Because <laughs> they were men of God who basically went around telling people, this is where you're at. Um, God's not happy with you right now. You better straighten up your life. Okay? They weren't very popular people. They didn't come along and say, let's just talk about love today. God is love. I love you. You love me. Let's all sing Barney song. I don't know. Um, you know what I'm saying? It, it, today we can sugarcoat things and we can make you feel really good walking out of a service on Sunday. Okay? That can happen. But a prophet back in biblical times, he'd walk in and say, oh my goodness. 
I saw what you guys did this week. God told me, you did this, 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 this. And you know what? God is not happy with you. He's bringing judgment. And you will not survive it. Let's all pray. Go be the church, okay? That's how a prophet would, you know, and it was, so people didn't like prophets because they told it the way it was. God gave them some good messages, okay? So that's the time of where we're at with Elisha. And then understanding this, back in biblical times when, when nations fought one another, they had to figure out how can we continue to fight but not lose so many people in battle. Nations fought one another and fought one another. They'd lose soldiers left and right. Men are not coming home. Women are left being uh, without a husband. And, and there's no men in the town to teach the young boys how to grow up to be men. And matter of fact, some of the young boys are all fighting and they're dying too, not coming home. And moms are pretty upset. And how do we keep from that happening? So what would happen in ancient times in warriors, they would take their champion of one nation against another champion of another nation. They'd go out. Those two champions would fight. The losing champion... His nation would then become servants to the winning champion. Can anybody think of a story in biblical times where they took two champions to fight? Anybody think of one? David and Goliath. Exactly. Perfect. That's a good example. In other times, if they didn't bring their champions, maybe a nation would say this. We're just going to surround your city. We're going to besiege it. And we're not going to let anybody go in and out. No food's going to go in and out. No water's going to go in and out. You're basically going to die of starvation or you'll surrender. So we're just going to camp outside. It may be weeks. It may be months. It could be years. So these nations, when they would set up their tents outside the city, they had the fixings of home. There's home away from home. Because it might be a while till you surrender. We're just going to wait out here. And if you try to come out, we'll put an arrow in you. But meanwhile, you're going to be in there and you're just going to be starving. That was another way to save your soldiers to keep from losing so many and having so many casualties. That's this story in 2 Kings chapter 6. So 2 Kings chapter 6, look with me at verse 24. We'll start reading there. Sometime later, however, King Ben-Hadad of Aram mobilized his entire army and besieged Samaria. As a result, there was a great famine in the city. Now, again, picture this. Let's just imagine this here. This center section right here, we're going to call you Samaria, okay? So basically... Um, the, the king, um, Ben-Hadad of Aram, which is actually the Syrian army, they surrounded you. Everybody else is camped out outside here, okay? And it says a great famine took place. How bad was this famine? Let's look. After a while, even a donkey's head sold for two pounds of silver, and a cup of dove's dung sold cost about two ounces of silver. Now, let's do a little translation here for some of you that aren't catching on, okay? What's on the school menu today? Now, as I visit schools, and sometimes I'll share this story with a lot of schools I go to, I say, how's your school lunch today? Because actually, a lot of times, when I'm talking to these kids, they're having lunch. So I'll be in a room, the kids got their food trays there, and they're talking, and, and you know, and it's like, oh, what is that? I don't know, burger surprise or something. And, um, and then they were looking at them and saying, oh, check out what they were eating. Donkey head and bird poop. Can I say that? Okay. Well, that's what a dove's dong translation, bird poop. So... I don't know if it's fresh. I don't know if it's baked. Oh, I know it's gross. Okay? Can we all agree with that? Okay? So it says, as a result of this great famine, a donkey's head sold for two pounds of silver and a cup of dove's dung sold about two ounces of silver. A little bit less than the, uh, than the donkey's head. Well, how much you got on you? Not enough for a donkey's head. What are you going to have to buy? Oh, boy. We're in trouble. Lunch sounding good to anybody right now? Okay? 
Let me all hear you say, that's a mess. Okay, that is a mess. That's just gross, okay? Let's read on. Verse 26. One day as the king of Israel was walking along the wall of the city, a woman called to him, please help me, my lord, the king. Now you can imagine this. Up on the top of the walls, and some of these walls of these fortified cities were, were wide. Matter of fact, Jericho, we know they could race chariots across the top that was that wide. King's up above, walking along the top of the city. A couple ladies come down below and approach him. King, help us out. And he's like, okay, check out what he says. If I can't help you or if God can't help you, I can't help you. Let's read his exact words. If the Lord doesn't help you, what can I do? He says, I have neither food nor do I have wine to give you. So what's the matter? Here's the situation. Whenever things are going bad, we've got to find somebody to blame, right? Hey, if God's not going to help you, I can't help you. Who's going to help you, right? It's not my fault. It's God's fault. It's somebody's fault. We're going to blame somebody. So what's your problem anyway? Listen, this is horrible. She replies, this woman, referring to the lady next to her, proposed that we eat my son one day and then her son the next day. So we cooked my son and we ate him. And the next day I said, we'll kill your son so we can eat him. But she hit him, king. What you going to do about this? Let me hear you say, that's a mess. That's a real mess, isn't it? Okay. She's upset because these two ladies made a pact. They were tired of donkey heads and bird poop, so they said, flesh sounds better. How about you boil your kid today and we'll boil mine tomorrow? Oh, okay, deal. So they did that. They ate the one lady's kid, and the next day, the lady, other lady, she hid her kid. Oh, what? I don't have a kid. Sorry, we're out. Yours was tasty. I don't have one. Sorry. Okay? Now, isn't that really messed up? It's super messed up, isn't it? Okay? It is a mess. And, you know, you have to imagine when the king hears this. Check what he does in verse 3. When the king heard this, he tore his clothes in despair. As the king walked along the wall, the people could see that he was wearing sackcloth underneath next to his skin. And he said this, May God kill me if I don't execute Elisha this very day. What is he doing? It's Elisha's fault. It's that prophet's fault. I'm blaming him. I want to take you back to something. Let me read to you from another scripture. This is Deuteronomy chapter 28. So the Lord prophesied this was going to happen. See, the prophets come in, they tell you something. Listen, God said it's going to happen. But the kings wouldn't listen. Deuteronomy 28, let me read this to you, verse 49. The Lord will bring a distant nation against you from the end of the earth. It will swoop down on you like an eagle. It's a nation whose language you don't understand. A fierce and heartless nation that shows no respect for the old, no pity for the young. Its armies will devour your livestock and crops. You will starve to death. They will leave no grain, new wine, olive oil, calves, lambs, bringing about your destruction. They will lay siege to your cities until all the fortified walls in your land, the walls that you trusted to protect you, are knocked down. They will attack all the towns in the land the Lord your God has given you. The siege will be so severe, listen to this, that you will eat the flesh of your sons and daughters whom the Lord gave you. The most tender-hearted man among you will have no compassion for his brother, his beloved wife, and his surviving children. He will refuse to give them a share of, his own, of the flesh that he's devouring, the flesh of one of his own kids because nothing else to eat during the siege that the enemy will inflict on your towns. The most tender and delicate woman among you, so delicate that she would not so as much uh, her feet touch the ground, will be cruel to her husband she loves and to her own son or daughter. She'll hide from them the afterbirth 
and the new baby that she just gave birth to so that she herself can secretly eat him. God told them, this is what's going to happen to you. Unless you get it right with him. He told everybody. They didn't listen. So the words come true. The pain comes true. And life as we know it then seems to be a huge mess. Let me pause for a second. Let me ask you something. If you look at your life right now, relationships, finances, maybe workplace, what's a mess in your life right now? What seems so utterly disgusting that you step back from me and say, what is going on? And as you look at that mess, let me ask you this. Who's getting blamed? God, why don't you do something? Boss, why isn't he or she doing anything? Who, who are we blaming in these moments? God, why am I acting this way? Maybe we blame ourselves. What is our attitudes during these messy times? As we read on, let's see what happens here. Elisha is sitting in his house in a meeting. This is verse 32, 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 32. Elisha is sitting in his house at a meeting with the leaders of Israel when the king sent a messenger to summon him. But before the messenger arrived, Elisha said to the leaders, A murderer has sent a man to kill me. And when he arrives, shut the door, keep him out. His master will soon follow him. So while Elisha is still saying this, the messenger arrives. The king says, It's the Lord who has brought this trouble on us. Why should I wait any longer for the Lord? Elisha replied, Hear this message from the Lord. This is what the Lord says. By this time tomorrow in the markets of Samaria, five quarts of fine flour will cost only half an ounce of silver. Ten quarts of barley grain will cost only half an ounce of silver. The officer assisting the king said to the man of God, This couldn't happen even if the Lord opened the windows of heaven. But Elisha replied, You'll see it happen, but you won't be able to eat any of it. So the king's mad, blames Elisha, sends a messenger to himself to go say, Hey, Elisha, we're coming after you. This is your fault. And Elisha has the door shut and he says, No, 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 no. Listen, listen. Tomorrow, 24 hours from now, it's all going to be different. It's all going to be good. And what does the messenger say? Oh, no. God can't even open up the doors of the heavens and the windows of heaven and drop all this out. It ain't happening. It is going to happen. Unfortunately, you're not going to be a part of it because of your lack of faith. Now, I want you to, to, to see something here which is really amazing is, is if you back up a couple chapters, there's another cool story here. So if you will, turn back in your pages. And let's go to uh, 2 Kings chapter 6. And we're going to look at verse 8. Again, the king of Aram, Syrian king, is at war with Israel. He confers with his officers and says, we're going to mobilize our forces in, uh, at such and such a place. Verse 9. Immediately Elisha, the man of God, warned the king of Israel, do not go near that place, for the Arameans are planning to mobilize their troops here. So the king of Israel would send word to the place indicated by the man of God, warn the people to be on guard. It happened several times. Verse 11. The king of Aram became very upset over this. He called in his officers and demanded, who's this traitor? 
Who keeps informing the king of Israel my plans? He had this plan to go surround Israel, surround like Samaria, and take over. But for some reason, they kept finding out it was going to happen, so they kept thwarting the plans. Because God kept telling Elisha, Elisha kept warning Israel. Oh, this got the king of Aram very mad. Watch what happens. Verse 12. It's not us, my lord, one of the officers replied. Elisha, prophet of Israel, tells the king of Israel, even the words you speak in the privacy of your bedroom, King commanded, go out, find where Elisha is. We'll send troops to seize him. The report came back. Well, Elisha's at Dothan. So one night, the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots, horses to surround the city. When a servant of the man of God, that would be Elisha's servant, got up early next morning, went outside. There were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. Can you imagine this? You wake up next morning, normal day, and you walk outside. An entire army mobilized to come grab you. Okay? Oh, my Lord, what are we going to do now? He cries out to Elisha. Listen to Elisha. Don't be afraid. For there's more on our side than on theirs. Okay, about this time, if that was you, the messenger, and you walked out, you see this entire army mobilized to take Elisha. You come back and you tell Elisha, they're out there to get you. He goes, oh, no, no, no. There's more on our side than theirs. Just a second, Elisha. One, two, three, four thousand, some. I saw thousands. I see nobody. Check out what Elisha says. Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes, let him see. The Lord opened the servant's eyes, and when he looked back out, he saw on the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. God's angels and armies surrounded and outnumbered this uh, Syrian army. So as the army advanced toward Elisha, Elisha prayed, O Lord, please make them blind. The Lord did as Elisha asked. And the Lord went out, or I'm sorry, Elisha went out and told them, You've come the wrong way. This isn't the right city. Follow me. I'll take you to the man you're looking for. And he led them smack dab into the middle of Samaria. And as soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha prayed, O Lord, now open their eyes. Let them see. The Lord did. And he discovered they were in Samaria. When the king of Israel looked in Samaria, looked down and he shouts to Elisha, should I kill them all? We've got the enemy in our town. How about we annihilate them now? I want you to think about this story. God's got his angels and armies just surrounding, protecting them. And Elijah, a man of faith, says, why don't you blind them, God, please? God blinds them. He leads these blinded armies into the middle of the enemy. And then their eyes are open. Now they are surrounded by the enemy. And what are they thinking? We're dead, right? Okay. But listen to what he says. Elijah says, do we kill prisoners of war? No. Give them food and drink. Send them home again. So the king made a great feast for them, sent them home to their king. After that, the Aramean raiders, the Syrians, stayed away from the land of Israel. Okay. Now, that happened Few, quite a few years before all this went down, the story we're in now with the besiege of Samaria. Somewhere along the line, they forgot about God. They all returned back, and now they're surrounding Samaria. Samaria's in a siege. It's a mess. Okay? I want you to see the, the whole picture of the story. Are you following me on all this? So let me ask you this. You've been through this before. You actually, what's your heart like now in Samaria? Wait a minute. We're surrounded by the very people that were actually in our hands at one time. We could have annihilated them. We wouldn't be here now. Who do you think they're blaming? What do you think their attitudes are like? See, sometimes we sit there and say, God, I thought it was supposed to be this way, and now it's that way, and now it looks worse. Why didn't you handle this a couple years ago, and I wouldn't be where I am today? 
sort of frustrating, isn't it? All right, let's get back to the present story where we're at. Chapter 7, verse 3. Now there's four men with leprosy sitting at the entrance of the city gates. Think about leprosy, uh, infectious skin disease, killed people, gross. Um, you were considered an outcast. If you had leprosy, you're booted out. If you remember back, I want to say early 80s, maybe when AIDS first became very uh, well known and very, everybody's like, you've got AIDS. I mean, they were like, if you had AIDS, you had to sit in a different part of the room. Um, I know some churches, if anybody in the family possibly had AIDS, they were not allowed to bring their babies into the nursery. Um, I don't know if you remember that time period. If you go back in time here to this with leprosy, it was sort of the same way. If you had leprosy, you were booted out of your family. You couldn't go to the church. You couldn't go in the public anymore. So these four men with leprosy are sitting outside the wall. Kids, it's like being bullied. Okay? Everybody hates you. They're picking on you. They're just mean to you. Okay? So four lepers are sitting outside the city walls, and let's see what they're doing. They said there, why should we sit here and wait to die? They asked each other. Why? We will starve if we stay here. We'll starve if we go back in the city. We can't actually go back in there. So we might as well go out and surrender to the Aramean army. If they let us live, that's so much better. But if they kill us, well, we would have died anyway. So here's their option. We can surrender to the army. They'll put us to death by sword, which is a quicker death than starvation. Okay? Or they'll make them servants and they'll get to eat and live. Because they can't go back in the city. So like, let's go. Let's just surrender. So they surrendered themselves. Key word. Okay, they surrendered themselves. That evening they went out to the camp of the Arameans, but no one was there. Look at verse 6. For the Lord caused the whole army of Aram to hear the clatter of speeding chariots, galloping horses, sounds of a great army approaching. They thought they were being attacked. Can you imagine this? The Syrian army, this Aram army, they're surrounding the all town of Samaria, okay? They're in their tents. They're eating, they're drinking. Uh, they, they might be getting cleaned up. They hear this huge noise. They just run. They dropped everything. They dropped everything. It says that, uh, verse 7, they panicked, they fled in the night, abandoning their tents, horses, donkeys, everything else. They fled for their lives. Horses are tied up, donkeys are tied up, fires are still burning, food's on the table. They dropped it all and ran. So these four lepers come into this, expecting to be captured, put to death, hopefully made a slave and can live. Okay? They walk into these tents. There's nobody there. It's like a ghost town. Now I want to back up for a second. I want you to see how powerful God is. I want you to understand, God is so amazing. The same God who once struck that same Syrian army with blindness to lead them into Samaria, struck them now with the sound of an army that caused them to run from Samaria. God is amazing. God is amazing. These four lepers then, it says they arrived at the edge of the camp. They went into one tent after another, eating, drinking, wine, carrying out silver, gold, clothing, hiding it. Finally, they said to each other, listen, this is a key verse of this, this whole sermon, okay? I want you to hear this. Chapter 7, verse 9. Finally, they said to each other, this is not right. Let me hear you say, this is not right. One more time. This is not right. This is wonderful news. We aren't sharing it with anyone. If we wait until morning, some terrible calamity will certainly fall upon us. Come on, let's go back and tell the people at the palace. So they went back and told the people what happened. Here's what happened. Some of them listened, some of them didn't. Matter of fact, the king was like, it's a trap. I bet it's a trap. I bet the, the uh, Aramean army, the Syrian army, is off hiding somewhere in the desert. 
and they're just going to wait for us to come out of the city, and then they're going to attack us. We're not doing it. Now, you remember the messenger that was sent to Elisha? Elisha said, I'm sorry, but you're not going to hear about your, you know, tomorrow, 24 hours from now, it's all going to be different, and you're not going to be part of it. Remember that guy? If you read on here in verse, I'm sorry, chapter 7, that finally the king said, okay, let's believe the lepers and go. The people rushed out of the city and discovered it was true. When word got back that what they were saying was true, it caused a great mob of people to rush out. And the guy who brought the message to Elisha got ran over by everybody in the, in the mob that ran out and died. I'm telling you, when God says something's going to happen, we better be listening, right? Now, that whole story, what in the world does that have to do with our mission statement for our church? What does that have to do with us? I just want you to know, our world's a mess. Wouldn't you agree? You know, when I, when, I, when I look at Samaria, I can see a school. I can see a community. We know who's doing what in our schools and in our communities. We know who's messing around and living such an ungodly life and making mistakes. We, we know. For them, you know, the, the food, what they were doing, the grossness of cannibalism and what was happening there, that was a mess. And we step back and say, oh, that's disgusting. Have you ever stopped and think about a lot of the stuff that's going on in our world today and have the same kind of disgust for it? Some things we just say, oh, that's a lifestyle choice. No, that's gross. But we call it lifestyle choices. Those ladies seemed it was okay to eat their kids. They justified what they did to survive. We do the same thing today. Matter of fact, three weeks from now, we're going to hit some hot topics in this church. We're going to talk about a lot of things that's going on in this world, and we're going to say, ooh, we're going to talk about that? Got to, because the Bible talks about it. The world's a mess. This Samaria was a mess. I want, you to, I want you to ask yourself, put yourself right now, where are you at in this story? Are you amidst the mess in Samaria? Or are you like the four lepers outside the walls? It's like, we are so different. We can't even go in there because one's a mess in there. One, we're different than them, so we've sort of been rejected. But let me put you a step further. Are you like the four lepers who decide, you know what, it's time to surrender. It's time to surrender. Those four lepers went over surrendering, figuring we have nothing more to do but surrender. What's the first thing about our mission statement? Salvation, surrendering to a holy God. Realizing that we can't take care of the mess in our lives anymore. We need a holy God to clean us up. These four lepers need somebody to clean them up, to live. They surrendered their lives. They went into the camp, and what did they discover? They discovered they had good news. They had such incredibly good news. They had food and drink, and they had clothing, and they had gold and silver. They hit the jackpot. And what did they do in their tent? They were celebrating. Oh, this, oh, this is great. And they're eating and drinking. They're finding stuff. And it's like, this is great news. This is such great news. We do that as Christians, don't we? We come to church and we celebrate the good news of Jesus Christ, his love for us. We know that in Romans 3, 23, it says what? For all of sin, all fallen short of the glory of God, right? We know in Romans 5, 8, it talks about that while we were still sinning, Christ died for us. We know in Romans 10, chapter 9, it says that if we confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord, we will be saved. We've got good news. Church, we've got good news. Can I see a smile or something? We've got good news, amen? Oh my goodness. You've got a new life. We are saved from hell. We've got heaven on our minds. We've got good news. We are like those lepers. 
coming from messed up situations, still having messed up families, still having a messed up community, but we've got good news. And we've stumbled across and we gather together like those lepers in a tent. But in the midst of this, please listen to me. In the midst of this, verse 7, what did it say? Lepers came to their senses. And what did they say? This isn't right. This isn't right. We've got good news and we're keeping it to ourselves. We've got good news and we're just sort of holding it all in and, and celebrating. But there's a city dying. Our family's dying. Our friends are dying. This is not right. Let's take this and tell them that's our mission. Because we love God, because we have salvation, because we are right with him now, it's now time for us to do what's right and take that evangelism, take that message, and take it to a world that's a mess. That's our mission. Where are you at with all this? Are you like the lepers that were leaning up against the wall and haven't quite surrendered yet? Are you in the city all messed up? Or are you like the lepers when they're in the tent and they discover, we got good news, this is awesome. Are you ready to go take it to a messed up world? I hope you are. I hope you are. I hope and pray, as you see how amazing God is, what he can do, whether he can blind the eyes of an army or bring in a loud noise and make them scatter, God can do amazing things. I'm going to tell you something. Probably one of our biggest fears is, I want to do the right thing. I want to go out there. I want to tell people about Jesus Christ, but they're going to reject me. Yeah. They did that with the lepers, didn't they? It took a little while before some people actually finally believed, and some people didn't, and they died. It's not your responsibility to twist somebody's arm and make them surrender, okay? It's yours and my responsibility to go take them the good news and then let them and God work it out together. But if we just sit in the tents all by ourselves and enjoy the good fixings, we're not being obedient. We're not doing the right thing. Let's do the right thing. As a church, let's make sure we're loving God and loving others. Let's do the right thing. Amen? Would you please stand? Let's pray. Worship team, please come forward. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an awesome and mighty God you are. Lord, when I think of this story, it seems so crazy. Lord, if I know if I were to just read a story somewhere or tell a story, I heard somebody share the story, I'd say, where'd they come up with that story? When we open up your word, the Bible, and read this, recorded history, the amazing thing is what you did through this, your amazing acts, and then working in the hearts of these men who were rejected. When they surrendered, and then your spirit spoke to them, and they looked at each other and said, this isn't right. This is good news. Lord, here we are. This is your church, your people. And we admit that we are not holy, that we're messed up. We admit that we are in need of a Savior. Thank you, Lord. That even right now where we're at, if, if we need to confess, we confess right now our sins to you, to get things right with you. Right now, Lord, we can, right where we're at, just say, I'm wrong and I'm sorry, God. Forgive me. The amazing thing, God, is that you forgive us. We can place our faith in you right here, right now. As we place our faith in you, we believe in our hearts and confess our mouths that you are Lord. You save us. That's amazing grace. 
So God, as your children who believe in you, speak to us now. Help us to know what to do as far as doing the right thing. Who do we need to go share this with? Who is our Samaria? Is it our classmates at school, a coach, a teacher? Is it a coworker? Is it a family member? Lord, people are starving for you. We've got the good news. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you loved us back. Now, Lord, we want to love you by loving others. Guys, we sing this song, how marvelous, how wonderful. Oh, Lord, may your spirit move through us as we sing this. It is so true. It is so true. Thank you, God, for being a mighty God. We love you. In my name we pray.